So the story begins in the kingdom of Ayodhya, where all is well, all is perfect. The king Dasharatha is very wise, and his eldest son Rama scheduled to move from the prince position to become the next king is the one that everyone realizes deserves that position. He's the great warrior, the great uh, nobleman, the one with uh, eminent moral virtue and purity of heart, and uh, all is well with the world. So we have a state that is very, to use a Jungian term, pleromatic. We're in the pleroma. The word itself, ayodhya, comes from the middle part, comes from yud, which means conflict. And the a means no. So the word itself, the kingdom of no conflict, right? There is total peace and harmony in this kingdom. And, uh, and a kingdom in which there is wisdom and there is... Uh, divine royalty. Interestingly, Rama's father, the king, Dasha Rata, I guess I should probably spell that. Dasha Rata literally means 10 chariots. <clears throat> now, why 10 chariots? Well, he was supposedly such a great charioteer that he could go faster than any 10 chariots in the kingdom, and he could go in different directions at the same time. It's like he is omnipresent. He is an invincible warrior. So he is, in a certain way, an image of God, of God consciousness, but God as imperial ruler, God as king. At the same time, Rama is God as the being of, uh, of preeminent moral virtue, the son, the father and the son. So Rama is very Christ-like. Uh, in his purity, his loyalty, his faithfulness to the law of the Father and, uh, and to uh, the, the, the Dharma. <clears throat> and and we, we can see that what the story will, as it will unfold, the supreme power, which is the other way that God appears, is the power of divine love. And that this is the origin of the divine right of kings. If you want power, the only way you get it is becoming totally loving. And that being of love will create nobility and worthiness to rule. And, and thus the divine right will be fulfilled. But if you're power hungry in another way that doesn't involve love and surrender, it will not lead to divine royalty, but to criminality and Kali Yuga. 
So this is a, this is a story of the, the loss and the regaining of that divine right. Now what happens in, the, uh, in this prologue to the story uh, is that uh, Dasha Rata, and by the way, the word ten, the signifier ten, is very important, and you'll see that it repeats in this story, not accidentally. For example, the arch-villain, you'll find out, is Ravana, who is a being with ten heads. Okay, ten chariots, ten heads. The ten will appear in a number of ways in the Ramayana. So, uh, Dasharata has three wives. Rama is, uh, is the son of the first wife, but the second wife has uh, a son named Bharata, who, uh, who that wife would prefer to be king over Rama. And that wife had in her, uh, her dowry or in, in the uh, negotiation for becoming queen, uh, was, was at, he, she asked uh, uh, Dasharatha for a boon uh, of whatever I ask for when I want it. And Dasharatha said, of course, my dear. So many years later, just as uh, Rama is about to be declared as the, the next king, uh, she taps Dasharatha on the shoulder and said, remember that boon? Well, I want uh, Rama kicked out of the kingdom and, uh, and banished for 14 years and my son put in place as the king. Well, Dasharatha, because of his goodness, cannot break his promise, right? So this is where we get the conflict between good versus good. It would be not good to break his promise to his wife. It's also not good that the rightful king is being banished. But nonetheless, uh, in the mind of Dasharatha, the promise has the higher priority. And so, Rama simply agrees, Haji, and, uh, and he leaves the kingdom. His wife, Sita, says, of course I'm going with you, and the brother of, uh, the, uh, of, of the other uh, son who is going to be the king says, well, I'm going with Rama, Lakshman, right? Lakshman, uh, who, who is... Uh, studying archery with Raman and uh, is in a certain way, I think, representing the ego ideal of the archetype of Rama, uh, wants to go with him. So the three of them, you could say the Atman, the ego ideal, and the soul as a trinity now uh, leave the kingdom and, uh, and uh, they... Uh, they begin the, uh, the journey of, of wandering. So,
exiled and wandering. They become nomads. And they leave the civilized Aryan kingdom of Ayodhya and they enter into uh, the forest. And uh, let's see, well, the first, the first uh, beings that they meet are the sages who live on the outskirts of town, of course, and who never go into the city because they're wise enough not to get involved. And uh, as they wander through the outer limits of uh, the, the civilized area, they meet the agori yogis in the cemeteries and the burning ghats, and, and then they go into the hills and meet the, uh, the real ascetic sages who are wandering. And as they keep going deeper and deeper, they finally go beyond the land that is charted on any of their maps. And now they're in the deep uh, wilderness. And, uh, and in the deep wilderness, they meet uh, another group. Uh, but, but before that happens, uh, the, the, uh, the three of them settle down in a camp <laughs> that they make. And... Um, and, and at one point, uh, Sita is simply gazing out at the, at the jungle in front of her, and suddenly a golden deer walks by. And Sita is literally captivated by this incredible being. And uh, she says to Rama, get me that deer, I have to have it. Uh, I want it as a pet, you know, and I've got to, I've got to be able to... Uh, connect with this incredible being. And Rama says, no, it's not really a good idea. You know, these could be magical beings that can, can cause trouble. Uh, let's not be attached or desirous of anything. And, uh, and she starts crying, of course, and says, oh, I really want that deer. You know, Rama says, okay, deer. Uh, and, uh, and he goes out after it to find it. And, uh, and, and then suddenly from the, the wilderness away, she hears uh, what she thinks is the voice of Rama saying, help, help, I'm in trouble, you know. And, uh, and she says to uh, Lakshman, go, go, go help uh, your brother. He's, uh, he's in trouble. And he's, my, my brother's in trouble? He's the greatest archer in the world. He's God. He's not in trouble. Don't worry about it. She says, no, no, you have to go and, and help your brother. And he said, yeah, but Rama told me to stay and take care of you, not to go and, and help him. And she said, I don't care. He's calling. So Lakshman says, okay. But he draws a magic circle around Sita and does a, a whole prayer and, and a whole uh, quick ritual. And he says, stay in this magic circle no matter what happens, and you'll be safe. And then he runs off trying to find Rama, who is off chasing this uh, deer, who turns out not to be a deer. It turned out to be a shape-shifting demon that was imitating a deer in order to accomplish this uh, subterfuge. And then uh, a, uh, a mendicant, uh, a Brahmin beggar comes, uh, 
who is uh, seeking, uh, uh, seeking funds, seeking some kind of uh, assistance. He's begging for either food or, or for, uh, for a coin or for something. And, uh, and he comes up to Sita and he said, please help me, I'm starving and I'm, I'm on a prayer uh, retreat and I have to uh, you know, remain in, in this state, but I really need some help if you could uh, provide anything at all. And, uh, and she wants to give him a coin, and, uh, and, but she knows she can't cross over the, uh, the magic circle. So she pushes it to the edge of the circle, but her fingernail goes slightly over the edge of the circle, and suddenly he grabs the fingernail and yanks her out of the circle and captures her and kidnaps her. Okay, and this turns out to be Ravana, who is masqueraded as a, as a, a Brahmin uh, sadhu. And, and she is taken off. Uh, and when Rama and uh, Lakshman return, she's gone. And they have no idea where she went. Okay. So, uh, this is uh, part three. Interestingly, uh, you know, we said that the state of Rama consciousness is uh, uh, a state of equanimity that is not affected by anything that happens, right? It's just, it's all perfect. And, but the later uh, renditions of the Ramayana begin to dramatize uh, Rama's uh, distress at uh, the loss of his wife. And, and they, they depict him crying and ripping his clothes and uh, mourning and he's in total grief and you know, he's, uh, he's in, a, in a total state of devastation. But there's a, a, a myth of it, but that the Shaivites tell uh, about this and, uh, and in that myth, uh, Shiva and Parvati are on a kind of magic carpet flying over this forest and they see uh, Rama wandering around crying like this and uh, Parvati says to Shiva, he said, I thought uh, he was like an incarnation of Vishnu. Why is he, you know, crying? Is, you know, this can't be, uh, you know? And Shiva said, don't worry. He's playing his part according to the script. He's not really upset. And she says, no, no, look, he's, he's crying. This is genuine. And he said, no, no, no. I'll tell you what, Parvati, you're a shapeshifter. I want you to make yourself look identical to Sita and go down there in front of him and see what happens. So she does that, and he wanders around crying, oh, my beloved, I've lost you. I can't stand it. I can't live another day without you. And he's looking directly at this uh, impersonation, this deep fake of, uh, of, of uh, uh, Sita. 
And uh, he's saying, oh, my beloved, where are you? And then he whispers, Parvati, what are you doing here? You know, <laughs> you're not supposed to be in this story. Uh, and, uh, and, and, she, and, he, and he says, and why are you dressed up like that, you know? Uh, well, and anyway, whatever you're doing, it's fine. Give my regards to Shiva. And he goes, oh, my beloved, I can't see that. And he goes back to crying. And, and she goes back to say, Shiva, yeah, you're right. It was fake, you know. So, uh, but nonetheless, that's the way the story gets written in the later versions. So uh, he, he um, of course, then, uh, let's see. Where do we go from here? Uh, let's call it uh, the search, okay? Now, this is where the story gets interesting and especially controversial because of the shift from its original nature to how it gets retold because of theological and racial politics that enter into the story. The search takes Rama and Lakshman into a very deep, uh, a place in the forest that they've never been, but that is occupied by indigenous forest dwellers. Okay, and they are called the Vanara. Vanara. And the word the word Vanara is actually made up of two words, van and Nara. Nara means man. Van, as in Brindaban, Maduban, uh, the word ban means forest. So it means men who live in the forest, the forest-dwelling tribes, okay? Not monkeys, okay? Hanuman is not a monkey. That is a later iteration of it. He's a forest-dwelling indigenous tribesman. Now, it's true that the tribesmen learn to climb trees uh, to get fruits and coconuts and everything, uh, perhaps even better than monkeys could, but they are not monkeys, okay? So <clears throat> that's the first thing to understand uh, about, uh, about Hanuman and, uh, and the... Uh, the, the chieftain of the Vanara, who, whose name is Sugriva. Sugriva, he, he meets in the forest first, and Sugriva is, is or was the rightful king of the Vanara, but he was overthrown by his brother and banished. So you have an identical replica of what happened to Rama, except it, it happened in a more violent way. <clears throat> and eventually, Sugriva will make a deal with Rama. You help me get back my kingdom, and then I'll help you get back yours, okay? Or get your wife back from, from capture. And, uh, and my captain, Hanuman, will 
it would be a sign to, to give you special help. So Hanuman is, uh, is a, a, a high-level uh, member of this uh, military organization of the, uh, the Vanara. And, uh, and another uh, element of the story of Hanuman that, that changes in the later uh, versions, you have that famous scene where uh, Hanuman opens his chest to prove that in his heart is uh, the loving image of Rama and Sita, uh, that, that people didn't believe, that they thought that he wanted uh, Sita for himself and no, he was pure. He was only saving her for, uh, for Rama and had no uh, personal interest in it. That's why he, he opened his chest. And this, that doesn't happen in the original story. There's no distrust of Hanuman. And, uh, and he doesn't have to rip open his flesh in order to prove it. So uh, that, that don't, don't think that's part of the uh, original uh, archetypal uh, tale. So, uh, Hanuman, by the way, uh, the, the concept of Hanuman is taken over by the Korean Zen tradition, and there they, the term is Hanmaum. Hanmaum is, is the mind of, of nature, the mind uh, and heart that are unified of the natural self. And, and so in a certain way, that's really what he represents, the natural self, not the self cultivated and spiritualized by effort, but the self that has a natural purity of heart and innocence and goodness that doesn't need to be trained to have that. And, uh, and he's a... Uh, He's an example of that. Uh, his, his, uh, his role and uh, status is very similar to that which is uh, developed by Gilles Dalleuze in uh, his, uh, his, with, with uh, Felix Guattari in their books of uh, Capitalism and Schizophrenia, by the way. And I would say he's the equivalent of the body without organs, uh, which is a a term that they use that they took from Antonin Artaud, which is that representation of the, the bodiless uh, presence of natural intelligence that has a yearning to, uh, to bring healing and goodness. And, and the, he has a mark on his jaw. It's not a, a cleft chin or anything that is often depicted, but it's a mark that he was able to leap up and touch the sun. And he, he has a slight burn from the sun. But what it means is he's connected to Surya, to the god of the sun, and to that solar dynasty, that solar power that is eternal and part of the Adi Sanatana Dharma. And so Hanuman is considered to be an immortal who lives from the Satyuga all the way to the end of Kali Yuga and is part of the guiding uh, nature of uh, the inherent goodness of the pure spirit. But what I think the role is, more importantly, that he plays here uh, 
uh, is what I would call the Jungian term of the animus. I would say Sita is the anima, the feminine aspect of the soul, and he is the masculine aspect of the, the mind, uh, the archetypal mind that serves the heart and, and rescues the heart, but has that, uh, that willpower that the, uh, the anima doesn't have, especially once she falls into desire. So Sita has been captured uh, by Ravana, who does uh, represent uh, desire. So let's go to the next. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.